Welcome to the Stop Ruining My Childhood podcast. A sometimes nostalgic, sometimes cynical look back at pop culture. Join us as we revisit movies, cartoons, and live action TV of the 80s and 90s and ask the question, does this hold up or did I just ruin my childhood? My name is Megan, and as you can hear, my lovely co-host today is not Steve, because this is our bonus Mother's Day episode, and so we have my mom, Karen, here with us today. I am so happy to be here and so excited. I I just want to say, we record these a little bit ahead of time, and you'll hear Steve and I talk about this in the next episode coming up, but in the past like week and a half... Our show viewership has kind of, uh, in our world at least, exploded. It kind of tripled within about a week and a half. And we're so excited. But Karen was basically, for for a week or two, it was Karen and maybe five other people listening to us. (laughs) So... (laughs) The original fan. And um, yeah, we're we're really excited to be doing this today. The other thing I want to say, it, you can probably hear my voice a little cricky today and I'm a bit stuffed up. Um, both Steve and I contracted COVID. We did not have it severely. So I just want to say that for anybody who might be worried. Um, but I do have still a bit of a cold. And that's the other reason that Steve is not part of this episode. He's got still a very sore throat. So he's not going about to talk for an hour. But we're so excited. We are reviewing today. Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday. So we'll go into the summary in a second, but I just want to say we batted around a couple of ideas. KK, do you remember some of the other ones that we talked about maybe doing? No more wire hangers. That's yeah, what we I thought. thought- We thought about doing mommy dearest and um, we were like, you know, do we want to talk for an hour about a movie that basically is about childhood trauma and abuse? (laughs) No, not so much. Do we want to look at a fun comedy for Mother's Day? So we're going to talk about Freaky Friday, both the 1976 version and the 2003 version. It's kind of interesting with this show. We usually do 80s and 90s. So we're going a little bit before our time period and a little bit after. But I think it'll bring up some really interesting discussion. So you can find Freaky Friday in all its incarnations on Disney+. Plus, and you can find links for the made-for-TV movie is not on Disney+, Plus, but it is on our blog. And that is watch with us at stopruiningmychildhood.com. You can also find links for our nostalgic snack today. So Karen, tell us what you chose for our nostalgic snack. I chose Neckle Wafers because they were a favorite of mine when I was young and I used to go to confirmation class and my girlfriend and I would buy all these candies, especially Necco wafers. And I would dump them in my lap. And then when the teacher wasn't looking, I would sneak one in my mouth all the time. So <laughs> they were the kind of candy that didn't melt in my lap because like M&Ms or something would make a mess. But the Necco wafers didn't. So that's what I remember about eating them is pouring them in my lap and then sneaking them in my mouth. Oh, my gosh. Well, what I remember <laughs> about Necco wafers is not eating them because Necco oh. wafers, they, they come in a larger roll. But at Halloween, they'll give you like a, a short roll you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I'd look at that and be like, no, <laughs> it 
would go like in the trash pile of the Halloween candy. It just always looks kind of chalky to me. I want to say there are eight flavors, you know. Yes, I mean, there eight are. Flavors. And the, the yellow ones are lemon. The green ones are lime. The orange ones are orange. The purple are clove. So I throw those out immediately. Okay. Yeah, that the, white ones, the white ones are cinnamon. The pink ones are wintergreen and the gray ones are licorice. And I'm not a big licorice fan, so I didn't usually eat those either. But the brown ones were my favorite. They're chocolate. Yeah. And I actually found uh, a multicolored and just a chocolate roll. Oh, wow. And I was in the hardware store buying something and I went to check out and right in the front of the hardware store, I suppose because there's lots of old people down in Florida at the hardware store. They had all these nostalgic candies. And this was one of them. So oh. I bought it at the hardware store. Oh. You don't like them. Oh, no. Okay. I tried a lemon. I tried a lemon. I can't, I can't do it. This is, I'm going to explain to the, those of you who are not listening. If you heard our cheers episode, episode two, um, we did candy cigarettes and these are basically the same formula, but flavored. Mm-hmm. But while Karen's mm-hmm. eating hers, I'm going to tell you, these are um, discs. They're a thin round disc and they were first produced in 1847. They were the namesake of the now, it's a now defunct company. They've been kind of taken over, but New England Confectionery Company. And that's where they got the name Neko. N-E-C- I did not know that. I just read that when I was getting ready for this. I was so surprised. And Oliver Chase was a British immigrant. And he invented a lozenge cutting machine. And then he started producing these wafers. So at the time, they were carried in the Civil War by Union soldiers. And then they um, basically merged with another company in 1901. By 1912, they had the name Neko wafers. And during World War II, they were carried by soldiers as well. Probably because, as you said, they don't melt, right? It's not like you're taking like a chocolate candy that would melt. So Mm -hmm. they tinkered with the formula a little bit. This is so hilarious to me in 2009 they were like parents really like things that are all natural and organic so let's change the formula and go all natural and organic they're still all made out of sugar like nobody cares um and then they changed back in 2011 but they also have tropical sour candy cane during christmas and they went into bankruptcy in 2018, but then they returned in 2020 by, they were bought by the Spangler Candy Company. So kind of an interesting history. I think it's so, it's neat to me when, when they talk about what soldiers carry, because you don't have yeah. a lot of space and certainly this would last a long time, but they are like, I'm going to eat a chocolate one and see if that's better. You have to think, you know, absolutely uh, 100% sugar and chalk with a little flavor. Yeah, a little bit of chalk. <laughs> so- I, don't I mind love the, the chocolate ones. I love the the wintergreen are my favorite. Those are the pink, which you don't like because you won't like mint. But well, I'm allergic to mint, and I think that's when I tasted the lemon. All I could taste was mint and cloves. So I think like the flavors mm-hmm. of all of them kind of get mixed up. But I'm taking one from the wow. all chocolate roll. It isn't bad. It's just like I I could eat a teaspoon of sugar, and it would you know it would yeah. kind of give me the same effect. Yeah. Also, my dog is looking at me. Typically, when I eat anything, she runs right over. She's not moving right now. <laughs> She's staying right where she is. She's like, does that look good? No, it doesn't. So we do the candy one out of five and the movie one out of 10. What should we use for our rating system today? Oh my goodness. <laughs> because of the first movie, I want to do water skis. <laughs> we'll, talk water skis. we'll talk about that later. 
<laughs> so out of five water skis, what do you give Neko wafers? Well, see, I still love them, but I, I'll, I'll give them a four because I, I really, except for the clove and the licorice ones, I would eat the others. Yeah. Um, no, these are a, 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 like a, a half a broken water ski that's not going to get you anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. You are right, though. You could eat a teaspoon of sugar the same way. I mean, it's just all sugar. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes a teaspoon of sugar does not make the medicine go down, apparently. No, apparently. So um, one out of five and a four out of five. So we'll pause for the effect. half water skis for Neko wafers. We're kind of split in the middle and um, you know, we'll see if you like them. Hey, they've been around since 1847. So who am I to judge? I guess that's all I can say. That's all I can say about that. So now that we've talked about that, let's um, Karen, can you give us a short summary of the movies? Sure. Well, both these movies follow the same basic plot, although a lot of the details have changed to update it in a modern way. But basically, it's 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 like uh, it reminded me of what Atticus Finch says to, to uh, Scout and to kill a mockingbird until you climb inside someone's skin and walk around in it. You don't really understand what their life is like. So it's kind of like that old proverb, you know, don't judge somebody until you've walked a mile in their shoes or something. And this yeah. is what happens in this show. It's basically a young teenager who's at odds with her mother and the two of them are both disgusted and annoyed with each other's behavior. And at the same time, they something magic happens and they switch places. So their minds are inside the other person's body. So the, the teenager's mind is inside the mother and the mother's mind is inside the teenager. And then of course, all kinds of misadventures occur as they try to fulfill the duties of, of either a teenager or a mom without the experience of that person's life. So all, all funny things happen as they try to do, you know, different things that their the mother tries to be in the band or do different things, water ski <laughs> as the daughter <laughs> has to do. And the daughter has to fulfill all kinds of household chores and other uh, professional duties that the mother has to do. So Basically, they go through this and then there comes a time that they kind of get an appreciation for each other. And magically, they're transformed back into each other. And they they have a whole new idea of what it's like. You know, their, their, their love and appreciation for each other is renewed. And in the meantime, too, there's other side characters that come in, especially a boyfriend. And actually, in both the versions, the, the boyfriend comes into it a lot. A young teenager has her eye on this guy and, of course... Now, all of a sudden, he's interacting with the mom. So all kinds of funny thing happens. And, and actually, the, the plot of the second one is considerably different, really, with especially in terms of the boyfriend. Yeah. So. And we're going to talk about some of those differences, I think, in part because they the just the dates are different, you know, not to get into too much. But the first one is made at the kind of height of the women's movement. Right. And the feminist movement. And so I think that you see some of that reflected and after you they also change one bit about the plot um in the first one the mother is married and in the second one she's getting married and the um the girl's father has passed um but did you know that this was a book originally 
Oh, I read that. Yeah, that someone had written a book about it and then they made it into a movie. Yeah. So Mary Rogers is the author and she is the daughter of Richard Rogers of Rogers and Hammerstein. Oh. So if, okay. if for, for people who don't know, Richard Rogers wrote, it's a, it's a tongue twister, 43 Broadway musicals, including Oklahoma, South Pacific, Sound of Music, King and I. And this is his daughter. And she actually started in musical theater as well. And she wrote the play. Once Upon a Mattress, which is The Princess and yeah, the Pea. Yeah, The Princess and the Pea. Yes, yeah. and we actually <laughs> performed that at my high school, I think my junior year. She also wrote The Mad Show, and this is to me the biggest thing because this was a huge part of my childhood. She contributed songs to Marlo Thomas's children's album, Free to Be You and Me. Free to Be You and Me. Remember that album? Yes. And oh I actually God. just found a vintage book of the music for that. And I was so excited because I play it on my guitar. But Mary Rogers had six children, including Adam Gattel, who's most known for also a musical, The Light and the Piazza, for which he won two Tony Awards. So she ended up um, moving over from musical theater into writing and she wrote this book, which was published in 1972. She also wrote the screenplay for the 1976 version. There's quite a big difference. The book I read as a kid, and it focuses only on the daughter becoming the mom. You don't see the mom as the daughter. She's just like at school. So it's really meant more for a young girl to kind of empathize with what her mother might be going through day to day. Then she wrote the sequel, Billions for Boris, um, <laughs> The Love Interest. I don't know what the billions are. And then she wrote Summer Switch, which is the brother and father switch places. Oh, and I didn't one, realize it was like a sequel. Like yes, that. and one goes to a summer camp. Now, when I read Summer Switch, I could not find this, but I know for a fact that it was called like Crazy Saturday or silly Saturday or something. I feel like that was, they, maybe they renamed it for like a version of the book. You know, they do that sometimes, but yeah. So in the original um, 76 version, both Jodie Foster and Barbara Harris, Jodie Foster plays the daughter. Barbara Harris is her mother. They were both nominated for golden globes for best actress in a music or comedy. And they lost to Barbara Streisand in a star is born which is a totally different genre. And I feel like should not have been up against this at all. Um, Jodie Foster was actually at this point wanted for Princess Leia, but she was under contract with Disney. They were going to have a much younger Princess Leia and they ended up, um, she did this movie instead of Star Wars. I don't know about that career choice, <laughs> but um, oh she, was, she was asked about it and she said, I think it's important for my career that I make all kinds of films. I shouldn't make one kind of picture like child stars in the past. Some of my friends think this is my best picture. And I liked working with Disney. Now she said that because, you know, around this same time, she was in um, a number of movies that were totally different. She did Bugsy Malone where it's basically a gangster story, but they're all like, children and young teenagers yeah. she also was in taxi driver where she plays a child prostitute so uh -huh. and in between that she did episodes of Gunsmoke, bonanza doris day courtship of eddie's father she did a couple of abc after school specials um so it's kind of 
I think it's interesting that even as a younger girl, she she always came off to me as ve- being very mature. People I think my age know her from Silence of the Lambs. But if you watch her younger stuff, she does have kind of a mature air about her. Yeah, we I, have- I thought her, her casting was great. I thought she did a good job. But yeah. I wasn't that crazy about Barbara Harris. Um, well, I don't Bar- know what, what else she had been in. She was in some smaller things like Stand Up and Cheer, a TV show. It seems like American Bandstand, but it was adult contemporary music. Later, she had a small part in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. It seemed to me that this was kind of like her biggest movie role, that this is sort of what when you go on like IMDb, this is kind of what she's known for. And we also have John Aston as the father who people might know as Gomez from the Adams Family. Loved him. I yes. always love him everything he's in yeah he's hysterical he was was a highlight in this movie yeah so disney produced a mostly forgotten tv version starring gabby hoffman and shelly long i i'm gonna link that on the blog i watched part of it so you don't have to (laughs) for those of you listening you can go and check it out you know i like both of those actresses but it is slow. It was like one of those um, magical world of Disney movies. You know, I, I said this before when we were talking about Splash 2, you know, around that time they were trying to do remakes and sequels to just get some programming. Um, and then we come to the 2003 version. Freaky Friday is Lindsay Lohan's second movie released in theaters after Parent Trap in 1998. Jamie Lee Curtis, this is like the middle of her career. She's had such a great long career. She'd done like Halloween, Trading Places, Fish Called Wanda, My Girl, um, all of those movies. If you if you haven't seen anything with her lately, she's in this great show called Scream Queens. It only ran for a couple seasons, but it's on Hulu and it's hysterical. She's great in it. They work together for a long time to replicate each other's postures. So like really to try to get um, the, the, the affectations of the other person and kind of be able to do an impression. They also both had to learn guitar for the film. Um, Jodie Foster, Barbara Harris, by the way, did not have to learn water skiing. It's very clearly a green screen. And we'll talk yeah. about that later. But Mark McClure, who played the love interest Boris in the 1976 version, has a cameo in this. Wasn't that funny to see him all of a sudden walk in? And do you know, also, people might not know that he was also the older brother in Back to the Future, and that's where I recognized him from. Yes, Back to the Future. Yes. But Um, the other Mark that's in here, Mark Harmon, I was drooling. He's he's young. We're going to talk about Mark Harmon, okay, because something happens in this movie, and I was like, no, because Mark Harmon's amazing. Mark Harmon, you might know from NCIS, but he's also in, in the 80s, he did this movie called The Deliberate Stranger, where he plays... Ted Bundy and Anne Rule wrote that screenplay and she wrote the true crime book. And she said, these girls would come up to her and be like, I'm, I don't know what to do. I think I'm in love with Ted Bundy. And she'd be like, did you see the movie, the deliberate stranger? And they'd be like, yeah. And she's like, you're in love with Mark Harmon. He's hot. Like you're not in love with Ted Bundy's a serial killer. Okay. You're in love with Mark Harmon. Just have a celebrity crush on Mark Harmon. So I do have a celebrity crush on Mark Harmon. I Everybody say, has a now. celebrity crush on Mark Harmon. He's a but seeing him young. Cause I watch a lot of reruns of NCIS and he's older, you know, yeah. but to see him in this role, he oh. was young, fresh faced, gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to. <laughs> Steve's going to listen back to this and be horrified. Chad Michael Murray though, plays the love interest for Lindsay Lohan. And um, he is quite 
kind of a star from that era. A lot of um, millennial girls would really gravitate toward him. It's funny that he plays kind of a bad boy with a motorcycle. In real life, he was not allowed to ride the motorcycle for insurance purposes and because of his age. So basically, they have a stunt double with a helmet on, you know, and then he just stands by the bike and poses with it. Makes sense. I just found so hysterically funny. So then, uh, oh, also this was Lindsay Lohan's first on-screen kiss. It took a whole day to shoot the scene of her kissing um, because they had to really make her feel comfortable because she was so no young. Kidding. Yeah. Whole day? Yeah. Well, and also they probably had to film it from different angles and, you know, get her parents approval and, you know, all that kind of thing. Although her parents are a little off the rails. And then Disney made another version of it in 2018, I think just for Disney Plus. Um, it is a musical version and there has been a stage show of it. Now they asked at the time, now she's passed, but when they did the stage show, they asked Mary Rogers if she would write some of the music. And she said, I have a medium talent. I'm not my son and I'm not my father. Uh And she declined. But I think that's so interesting because sometimes people try to, this is a line from little women. Like there's a difference between talent and genius, right? But if you watch Once Upon a Mattress, like, no, you have a great talent that plays so funny and so good. And, um, And so is the book and so are these movies. But um, that's basically just some interesting history about the movies, the book, some fun facts. So we're going to take a break here. And then when we come back, we'll talk about our memories if we have them. And, um, And then we'll get into the full review and recaps. This podcast is supported by its creators and listeners like you. Help keep our show ad-free by visiting our website, StopRuiningMyChildhood.com. There you can find links to our social media. And this very podcast you're currently listening to. Both Megan and I are authors, and you can find links to our books on our About page. And on our Watch With Us page, you can find videos and links for all the shows and movies we discuss on the podcast. And more importantly, links to buy the nostalgic snacks we review as well. We also post bonus content about once a month. So like, subscribe, and follow. For a small independent podcast like ours, it really does make a difference. Thanks. And now back to the show. Okay, and we are back. As a reminder, my name is Megan. And I'm Karen, Megan's mother. And we are going to talk about our memories of Freaky Friday. Um, So, KK, do you remember either the 76 version or the 2003? Yeah, I I remember them both. I I think I saw them in theaters, actually. Um, Even though in 1976, I, I wouldn't have had any kids yet. I would have been just like a newlywed kind of thing. But uh, we like to go to the movies and we liked comedy. So I, I'm pretty sure I saw this. I kind of remember the water skiing scene on the big screen, you know? Yeah. That that probably actually was funnier then than, than it is to me now. So, But the second version I definitely saw in movies and uh, or, you know, I, the theater. We went to that together because I have 2003. So it would have been right before I went to grad school. So I would have been home. And I think we saw it together. You know, just this is the kind of movie that I just enjoy going to see because it's sheer fantasy and lots of laughs and, you know, some some slapstick comedy. But um, but even so, sometimes when you just need a movie that's just for fun and not a deep thought, you know. 
Yeah. And I think what I what I remember is that I had really liked I like both versions of Parent Trap. I thought about doing those for today, Um, Mm -hmm. but I like both versions of Parent Trap, the Haley Mills and the Lindsay Lohan version. There's also a Parent Trap two and three with Haley Mills as the adult. So that's kind of funny too. Um, again, around that same like the '90s time when they they needed some programming for TV. But Lindsay Lohan, I always felt like she was never the best actress necessarily, but she definitely has star power. Like when she's on the screen, you kind of can't look away, right? Yeah, she's one of those kind of actresses. And um, and so I really remember like just going and enjoying. As you said, they're they're both kind of just like fluffy and fun. And I forgot to mention this: the fun facts. They are both exactly one hour and 38 minutes long. Both movies. Oh, that's interesting. Which is crazy because even though they have such different scripts, right? So let's get into the 1976 version. We start the 76 movie. Okay. This is- with the cheesy intro with all the drawings and the yes. stupid song. Oh and my God. This is what Steve and I ran into with a nut with Troop Beverly Hills as well, which is hilarious because it's made like 10 years later. But Parent Trap has this. And if you watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which I know it's one of your favorites from like memory, but it has the same thing where it's showing you the whole story. Like as almost a preview in animated form. I don't know if they thought like people wouldn't take their seats or something or people would come in late. I don't know. Now we have like 20 minutes of previews before a movie starts. You don't need stuff. Yeah, but the song was cheesy too. And the drawings were very cheesy. But it is Jodie Foster and Barbara Harris singing. So that's- Oh yeah, I could tell. Yes, that's kind of fun at least. Mm -hmm. So act one starts with- uh, I'm calling it act one. This is like um, the before the switch, right? right? What are some of your highlights and lowlights from this before the switch? Well, I mean, some of the things that Annabelle was trying, the daughter is trying to do, you know, she wishes she had boobs. She doesn't like her braces. You know, she calls her brother ape face, you know, um, she's got this big crush on Boris across the street. You know, she thinks he's hot. I don't know. She had very typical adolescent girl problems I thought stereotypical yeah I really liked the Uh, fact that she's 13 um yeah but I love that she goes I I look fat and I'm like Jodie Foster has always been built like a toothpick her entire life in what universe (laughs) you know yeah and and the mom was very stereotypical too I mean the things she had to deal with you know the plumber coming and the laundry and the cooking and helping out her husband with his career and so on. You know, I I don't know the father, when he said this line, I I wrote it down because it infuriated me. So Helen, please just show up looking beautiful as usual and I'll take care of the rest. Oh yeah. Gag me. I mean, (laughs) some of the father's lines are like over the top uh, chauvinistic, but some of my highlights of this are First, I love that her brother Ben is so neat and he like they show they show Ben who she's calling ape face and he's folding his clothes very delicately on his bed and folding his pajamas and putting them away. It's so funny. And then she goes, and that Boris, what a fox. And Bor- they, they do a shot of Boris across the street, this brilliant piece of editing. And he snorts nasal spray. <laughs> like, yeah, he's not really a fox at all but you can no, but, see through 13 year old eyes he is well you know? that's the thing right i w- can you remember who you had a crush on when you were 13 because i yeah. 
know who I had a crush on when I was 13 or 14. And looking back at them, I'm like that. I thought that that guy was like the hottest thing since sliced bread. And it was not. I also, the mother has this like hairsprayed hairdo that I also thought was kind of hilarious. Yeah. I thought the hairdo was a little over the top. I did not like, it was kind of like a a bee, not a beehive, but like it a, a French a twist, what they call a French twist. Yeah. And then it was poofy and bouffant. I don't know. I, I, I just didn't remember people wearing that kind of a hairdo as a stay-at-home mom. But again, it would be about maybe 10 years, maybe before I was a state, you know, was well, a mom. If you, so, if you watch some TV from the seventies, a lot of the women do have hair like that. Um, thinking though, something like petticoat junction, it seems to me a lot yeah. more, the fact is, too, that this mom is supposed to be kind of ultra feminine. She's a stay at home mom. She has a fake lashes and her hair is like perfectly done. And it's like seven in the morning. Right. And yeah. that's supposed to contrast because Jodie Foster's character, Annabelle, is supposed to be a complete slob um, and won't get up in the morning and just throws on some dirty old clothes and goes to school. I mean, you know, really doesn't take care of herself. That's my life. Like a 13 year old. really. I mean, <laughs> now i'm like what's clean all right <laughs> um i also i have a shout out for for some of the um the old tech here the appliances in this kitchen are all avocado and then the wallpaper is that burnt orange and gold it's very <laughs> 70s it is so 70s um and then okay then we have this is just before the switch annabelle uh, her mother's made a lovely breakfast as they always do in movies about middle-class white people. They always have like toast and pancakes and cereal and bacon and everything. And then Annabelle goes, no, I'm not hungry. And she goes to a diner for breakfast. And what does she eat? Something weird. Something she eats. Okay. Listen, she eats a hot fudge sundae, but it's made with rum, raisin, ice cream. Oh. And it is so gross. And that's her usual breakfast. But my question is, you know, we, I grew up in the time of like kids faces on milk cartons and Adam Walsh had uh, gone missing and his father, um, you know, started America's Most Wanted and all of that. And, um, and then it by Stephen King, which is also about missing kids. So there is no way on God's green earth that I would have been allowed to be just out at a diner for breakfast. I mean, we played in our neighborhood, you know, out and about. Not, I think like a lot of kids later might not even have, might've been a little more structured, you know, or might not have been allowed to do that. Like go ride your bike for a couple hours, but she's on a school day eating at a diner. <laughs> Cause you've gotten away with that at 13. No. And how did she get there? I mean, she must, they must've walked. She walked right? to the diner and then she takes the bus to school, but not a school bus, like a bus bus. Yeah. Like a city bus. Yeah. But, but they're not in a city. They're in a suburb. Like, I don't know. It's just some, it's just kind of nonsensical, but she thinks her life is easy because her mom's a stay at home mom. Um, her mom thinks Annabelle's life is easy because she just gets to be at school and have fun and be a kid. And there's so much here to me about gender expectations and roles as well. I like that they cast Jodie Foster because Jodie Foster, she has this like swagger and confidence about her. So she's able to kind of play a girl who's going to be maybe a different type of woman. Almost like a tomboy in a way, but that's yeah, what it, yeah I guess that's. Yeah. So she's trying to get into these women <laughs> and female things, but she's really still 
much of a, a young tomboy kind of person. Yeah, and her, and so because of that, I think she's kind of flouting some of these gender expectations, like that the mom is kind of stuck in at the moment, you know? Well, because she's good at sports, for one thing. She's very yeah. good at water skiing, very good at uh, hockey, you know, field, field hockey. hockey. Yeah. And, uh, and also musical at the same time. But, you know, it's like the mom isn't that at all. Mom has got the heels on and the false eyelashes and the beautiful as you can see when even when she tries to help the dad come up with some ideas she's pigeonholed right she's not really allowed to think outside of the box that she's correct so at any rate then we have the switch what did you think of the switch the psychedelic i know so mom is smoking and annabelle's eating and they both start coughing side by side as they say at the exact same time i wish i could switch places with her for one day and then there's this like obviously almost more like a 60s psychedelic thing going on yeah it's a very similar effect that they do in bed knobs and broomsticks when the bed travels they go and it's like the colors and stuff and then okay this is a feature from this point on in the movie that i did not care for and that is the voiceover so we hear barbara harris through jodie foster going that's not my hand that's annabelle's hand this isn't my hair. This Annabelle's hair. It's like, oh my gosh. I I don't know. I feel like maybe it's because this was kind of the first time this story had been done that they want to really explain in some way that they are switched. But I feel like we don't need that. <laughs> like we don't it went you know, a little long too. Trust yeah. your audience a little bit more, you know. And then she said she turns to her friend and says. Yeah, I trouble you for a dime, dear. And the friend is like, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? And then all of the girls go, oh, this is a fun game. And they all start pretending to be their moms. And it that part, oh my gosh, that part to me was hysterically funny. So then she calls home and she keeps calling her father, Bill, which I also think is funny. Meanwhile, Annabelle in her mother's body is dancing and chewing gum now here's the thing this is the part that i did not like about this movie okay is that i think jodie foster did a pretty good job being the mom okay Mm -hmm. but barbara harris when she takes on a childhood mentality like this almost acts drunk in a lot of ways to me you know like she's very over the top this the chewing of the gum we never see annabelle chewing gum but yeah, as soon as yeah. the mom becomes a child, she starts blowing these huge bubblegum bubbles. And uh, kind of a lot of the things she did was way over the top, like the way she did laundry and so on, you know, stuffing like a million things in there and so on and so forth. I don't know. I just thought for some reason I didn't buy her transformation as much as I did the daughter. Well, and I think part of that is because, well, and this is why Jodie Foster is a superstar, right? Because yeah. she's, she's amazing. And as I said, I think she's kind of like, even at this age, just an old soul and very mature. I even bought her more as being the mom in her body than I did the kid because she's a lot of times so serious. I will say is it convincing? Maybe not. Is the physical comedy good and funny, though? Yeah, it's definitely funny. And I think that if you were a child watching this, which I remember just thinking this was hysterical when I saw it on TV. But well, what still- was really funny to me is as a stay-at-home mom, she thinks she's going to watch TV. Okay, so she turns on the TV 
and see, you don't relate to this much because you don't, you weren't always in that generation of, we only have three channels to watch and none of them yeah. are talking to one. And she tries to look and there's just daytime network TV, you know, which was at yeah. the time there was nothing on in the daytime to watch. It yeah, it's not like great. Soap operas and game shows, you know, then she watches Romper Room, which of course to me was like, oh my God, it was just bringing me back to I my know, childhood. I wrote that down. I wrote down, of course, she's watching Romper Room. That's yeah. hilarious. I don't remember the exact dates, but Fox came out in the 80s. And then it was like, well, we had four channels. So before that, we had NBC, ABC, CBS, and then we had PBS. And then where we lived, we also got Canadian channels. But sometimes they would show the same things as what was playing on American TV, which is hilarious because there's a couple shows that we're going to review at some point, Steve and I, that he has no memory of at all. Because they were on Canadian TV. Canadian. Yeah. But hey, listen, we have a lot of listeners in Canada, so I'm excited to look at those. So yeah, she she keeps calling Bill Daddy, which is just so creepy. Yeah. And how about the rotary phone when she uses that to call or to answer? Oh. She pretends to be the operator. She like plugs her nose. Well, this is the operator. You know, like people your age probably don't even understand no. what that's all about, you know, but we used to have to call the operator sometimes to get long distance or whatever. If you had a bad connection, the operator would come out. And now you can just see that on like Mrs. Maisel when she's like on the phone line, the switchboard, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's funny. So we have basically a little bit where they're kind of doing this thing and they're getting used to what's going on and being in each other's bodies. And it, I think it's also funny that the mom is desperate to get back to the daughter and the and Annabelle in the mother's body says, oh, no, no, no. She can enjoy being at my school for a day. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so now we start our run of hilarious mishaps. OK, yeah. the first mishap is that Jodie Foster uh, as Barbara is now the mom and is clueless as to what to do in this high school. And she goes into this dark room. Now I can tell you, having been in an actual dark room, um, we, I have had this happen more than one occasion (laughs) and it is always horrible. You're in this red room. You've taken so much time and so many precautions and the doors thrown open. When I was on my college newspaper, we did have digital cameras, but the person um, running the newspaper kind of felt that they weren't as good quality as traditional. And that's how I ended up learning how to do a dark room, which I think lasted like maybe one year past my college years. And then they got rid of it because nobody's using a dark room anymore. Um, what was the highlight for you in this part? Oh, I think uh, Mrs. Schmaus was one of my highlights. I, I don't know who played her, but uh, the housekeeper. Yes. The housekeeper right. was she's supposed to be this old lady who's I think Irish maybe there's so many tasks she refuses to do and she's obviously a drinker in addition (laughs) and I don't know I just thought she added a lot to the show you know as far as just a character yeah yeah exactly and And she's like and I don't clean pig pads and another thing I don't do is personal errands and another thing I don't do and you're like what what do you do what do you do exactly and also she loved the little boy and hated Annabelle you know and so the mom gets to see how she really is. Yes. 
to the kids, you know. And she accuses Annabelle of drinking the gin, which very clearly she's drunk the she, gin. She is the one, right. Patsy Kelly, that's her real name. So yeah, she she's a great character actress, I think, and she does a great job. But then all of a sudden, Annabelle in the mom's body gets deluge with the carpet cleaner and the oil guy and the Mrs. Schmaus, and then the draper comes, and then somebody comes over to borrow the hairdryer, and she's like overwhelmed, and she just sits down on the floor and kind of like just crashes. And also, <laughs> yeah, my favorite bit of that is that also somebody comes to deliver the groceries, which is yeah. something that I feel right after this went away and has not come back until about a year ago during until COVID. COVID. Yeah. So yeah. I think that that's so funny, but it is a hilarious scene as she becomes more and more overwhelmed. Meanwhile, Helen in Annabelle's body is going through high school and she is not having a good time. She burns out all of the electric typewriters, which is also hilarious because she's like thinking that it'll be an analog typewriter where she has to like, you know, um, do everything manually and by hand. And then she goes in marching band, but she doesn't know the pattern and she doesn't know how to play. And so she's just wandering around. And then she goes to history class And she basically gives a very serious account of the causes of the Korean War or the Korean conflict. And she's excited for the brownie points and everybody else is like, why are you doing this to us? Did you find, I found this quite relatable. I really did. Because I feel like there are those times in high school where especially if you're somebody who I won't say just intelligent, because I think a lot of kids are intelligent, but they don't like school or they don't like learning. And if you do like learning and you do know the answers, like you're kind of trained socially to just shut up and to not, (laughs) and to not share that. I think it's so sad that that happens. Um, A great section about this uh, at her at school, I felt was the field hockey game, because when I was in high school, I used to have to play field hockey. Oh, okay. And, uh, I we we did it all the time. We had intramurals and we had it in our gym classes. But the two character actors that play the coaches are very famous, famous comedians, and I really enjoyed seeing them. Ruth Buzzy, who was from Laugh In and yep. some of the other things, and then Kay Ballard. And I liked both of those actresses when I was younger in different roles, you know, and they they play the two opposing coaches. Okay, because Ruth Buzzy, I did recognize right away. Yeah, Ruth Buzzy also did an episode of The Muppet Show. And that's kind of how I first came to know of her. (laughs) But she was very famous comedian, and they do a great job. We have a parent teacher conference where Annabelle's in the mom's body, and she realizes that she's bright, but flaky, and that she has a lot more potential. But they also, they start blaming the parents. And in my notes, because they're like, well, maybe is something going on at home? Is there something you're not doing to help? Which, look, you know, both of us were teachers, KK, you know, sometimes it can be the parents, but sometimes the parents and the teachers are doing everything they can. And the kid is just flaky. Like, they're just not motivated. (laughs) There's not anything you can do, you know? Yeah. But also in my notes, I put So you're going to blame the parents rather than the fact that she's playing two sports and she's in the marching band. There you go. She's doing the aquacade water skiing. She's doing field hockey where she's like the star player and it's all on her shoulders. She's in the marching band and she's got a full load of classes and they're like, Hey, how come you don't have time to do your homework? Yeah. I never thought of that. I never thought of that at all. Oh yeah. That would be my first 
that would be my first question. Like, do you think maybe you have her overscheduled or that she's overscheduled herself a little bit, you know? Um, the other highlight for me is that, okay, so in the 70s, around this time, I don't know if you've ever seen this at that time, KK, or in mm-hmm. like in reruns, they sometimes played on the game show network. They have this game show called Three's a Crowd. And the original name for it was wife versus secretary. So it's almost like the newlywed game where a man comes in and answers questions and you see who gets more right, his wife or his secretary. It did not last for very long. It is rife with problems and it's so sexist. It's horrifying. It's like a train wreck. But the mom is still in Annabelle's body. She goes in to see the dad to get money for basically to do a makeover, right? Right. Um, to, to give her makeover because she's getting her braces off today. And Annabelle just has like sporty kind of clothes. And so she's like, hey, what if I do get her nails done and do her hair and buy her a couple dresses? She doesn't have to wear them, but like I could do that for her. Right. So she goes in and this secretary is there <laughs> every time the secretary oh, yeah. comes back into the room to help with something. She is more and more covered up. That was a great sight gag. She becomes uglier and uglier. Oh my and uglier God. And the, when Annabelle first sees her, she looks her up and down and she says, you know, my father is a very devoted family man <laughs> and gives her such sass. I just loved it so much. And really, I think this is the mom for the first time kind of standing up for herself in a way that she might not be able to in her own body, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So the secretary has a low cut dress at first and then she puts on a coat, then she ties the coat around her so you can't see the dress. Then she pulls her hair up and then she puts on glasses. Glasses. Yeah. Well, those heavy glasses. Oh my God. It is hysterically funny. And dad just is like, okay, like whatever. It's clear he has not really been paying attention to her. Then the daughter says, well, you know, what's, what's her situation? I've not seen her before. And he's like, oh, she has a husband who's like out of work and kind of can't find a job and they're having some problems. And she's like, mm, you're it's having an intuition. Comes uh-huh. in um, but I just thought that was so funny. And then we come to what I would call act three. And that is where we're almost about to switch back. So we well, have... I- I have to um, say, before you say this, I have to say that this was the best quote in the whole movie as far as I was concerned. Oh, which that one? Little boy Ben asks Annabelle in the mother's body, you know, asks her, what's a male chauvinist, mom? And she says, a male chauvinist pig is a husband who spends three months taking vows for a big shindig he's going to throw. And when he blows it, he gives his wife three hours to save his skin. <laughs> yes, so great. <laughs> I love that quote. I think it's so perfect. But it's also very telling. Again, this is that generational difference that she's kind of calling him out on it. She's still trying to help, but she's calling him out on it. And, you know, I don't think that the mother would. I think that she would internalize it and and try to just just do it, you know. And so we have um, the, the climax is that. Annabelle's father, Helen's husband, is throwing a big thing for some of his clients or people that they're trying to sign as clients. They're developing waterfront property. And so they're going to have a big dinner bash. And Annabelle's 
Aqua Team has come to do a, a water ski show. And that's kind of the highlight of the entertainment. And then they're going to set off fireworks and hopefully they'll sign these clients. So again, there are a lot of gender rule things here where he's kind of the breadwinner, but he cannot do it without the help of these two women. And I think that that is pretty um, telling. And then we come to the big climax. So we're getting ready to do the water ski show. And I think what they do here is hilarious because instead of doing the mind swap where Annabelle then would be in the air on this kite for the water skis and the mom would be driving, they switch bodies back, but they're in the wrong place. So Annabelle still is a 13 year old trying to drive and her legs are not long enough. And she's all over the place. But really the highlight for me was Barbara Harris as Helen. She's doing, um, it's water skiing. And then they go up in the air, almost like parasailing or, or um, like water kite kind of thing. Right. And she's up in the air with it, her evening gown on. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny. It's so funny. And the green screen is obviously like, not done well, you know, but for the time. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, the other funny part is that the cops start to follow Annabelle as she's driving because she's driving very erratically and all kinds of crazy things happen to these cop cars. But at one point they hit a wall and it splits the car lengthwise right down the middle. And one cop is on one side of the wall. The other <laughs> cop is on the other side of the wall. Kind of a funny gag. I it's such a good gag. I think that they do something very similar in some of the Herbie movies, which also yeah. Lindsay Lohan was in the remakes of those as well. Yeah, it's quite funny. Also, Mrs. Schmaus gets involved in this race car scene. She comes out of the liquor store with a bottle of liquor and then she gets on a motorcycle or something. No, she's on a bike to ride oh, home. Probably because she can't drive because she's been drinking so much. And the bike starts spinning around and around. And I think for the time, it's a pretty cool special effect. Yeah. Um, and then they, the, everybody loves it, except for the one guy who's kind of angling for, uh, for the dad's job. We come home and Annabelle is now, and her mother have made up. They're seeing each other a little bit better. Um, Annabelle promises that she'll try to do better in school. The mom is now giving the dad kind of a hard time, which is nice to see. And yeah. Annabelle and Boris decide to go to the beach the next day and bring Ben, the brother. So she's made friends with the brother because he kind of helped her out when she was the mom. So it's a really cute kind of ending. And then the end is set up for the dad and Ben to switch places. Just like, right. just like the book was. So it, it ends in this really sweet way where, you know, even though people are of different generations, they kind of come together and they get to appreciate what the other person brings to the table. And that's something I find is missing a lot in like our rhetoric today, like on social media or in the news. It's like the, the boomers ruined, you know, ruined the economy or the the Gen Xers are, are the people who are struggling under student loan debt or the millennials don't care about material possess Like, who cares? Like, learn from all of those things and, and figure out what you can learn from people who are younger than you and older than you, you know? So let's talk about the 2003 version. You know, what's interesting about the 2003 version to me is I could relate to Jamie Curtis as a mother 
a lot more than I could to Barbara Harris. I mean, Jamie Curtis is trying to, uh, she's trying to, to juggle a full-time job as a professional, yep. a relationship with a new boyfriend and, or fiance and raising two kids and keeping her home going. And she's a multitasker. You can tell she's always, you know, like pouring the cereal and talking on the phone at the same time. She's got a phone that's constantly ringing and interrupting her. You know, she's a single mom. Uh, I, I really think she did a good job playing that particular part, especially in the beginning of the movie. I want to get into Jamie Lee Curtis's performance too and kind of echo what you said, because this is a very typical baby boomer um, mom where you're trying to do everything. You're trying to yep. have a job and raise kids. And, um, you know, a lot of people since then, that's kind of been the situation, right? Um, and in this case, especially since she's a single mom now, They've made it because it's a Disney movie. She is, uh, her husband's passed away, right? It's not a divorce mm -hmm. situation, but I think you're right. But I want to take just a second to talk about the music in this movie, because to me, this was like a low light, <laughs> um, something that I did not care for. Almost every song in this movie, they take music from the baby boomer generation and then they try to do like bad cover of it <laughs> and basically <laughs> it's a little bit faster and a little bit louder and not as good and i i hated it through the whole movie the soundtrack is atrocious just atrocious i think it would have been cooler if they had just had the older music and then newer music and find songs that kind of have the same theme, but are different. You know what I mean? I don't know. The covers just bother the heck out of me right yeah. from the get go. But yeah, I like the changes to her being a single working mom because also, you know, we mentioned the housekeeper and it is overwhelming when she has everybody come to her house in that one scene. But Barbara Harris's character of Helen, she is a stay at home mom who has a house cleaner who also cooks by the way, because they mentioned mm -hmm. that Mrs. Schmauser cooks. So she's doing the cooking and the cleaning. We have somebody else to clean the drapes. We have somebody else to do the shopping and to bring the shopping to us. And we have somebody to repair the car. What are you doing all day? <laughs> like, I don't I know that she's kind of organizing all of these things and helping her husband's career. But you could see from a modern perspective how we're like, you know, okay, like you have to be scheduled. Like nowadays you could use Excel and figure that out, I guess. I don't know. Make a Maybe list. I didn't Make learn the list. lesson I was supposed to. But I also did like that they don't have the dad there, that they have it be, you know, a potential stepfather because I think that takes the ickiness out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I, you know, here's the thing. They age up the character that, that Lindsay Lohan's playing. Anna is like 15 going on 16 right and um i don't know uh, there's a difference between being in high school and being in middle school i guess <laughs> you know and so it becomes a lot more about the potential boyfriend and the potential stepdad and i think that to me detracted a little bit of some of those themes of feminism and female power and, and su supporting each other and that kind of thing, because it was a lot about the guys. I also think we have a lot before the switch. And one of the things I liked in the first movie is that the switch came like within the first like 
three or four minutes here. It's like minute 25. So we get to see what their lives are like. I don't know. What'd you think about that? Yeah, that didn't bother me so much. I I guess because there was a lot of changes in this movie, a lot more, like you say, a lot more emphasis on um, Mark Harmon's character, the fiance, and also the boyfriend and the garage band, you know, big, a lot of scenes with the garage band, you know, getting to know the characters that way. To to me, it didn't seem too long. Um, It's not, I don't think pacing wise, it's long. I just mean like in terms of the plot, The fun of the other one is that we're discovering this person's life as they're discovering the person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. You have the daughter who didn't know that her mom was having to manage such a hectic kind of schedule and help her dad quite so much with his career. And you have a mom who didn't really just thought you just go to history class and English class and didn't realize like. No, she's the star of the team and she's the star of the water ski show. And these are Mm -hmm. things where she's got a lot of pressure on her as well, you know? So here we kind of see their lives. I would have liked the irony is lost a little bit of like, just say, I don't know. I just didn't like it as much. What did you think about the part where she is uh, nasty or whatever does, or maybe she doesn't, didn't do well in school, I guess. And then the mother took off the door of her bedroom. Well, that's good. Interesting question. (laughs) I had that happen to me one time, but there was an actual reason for it. And the reason, in my opinion, even at the time was valid. Okay. Here. And I don't want to get into that, but I will just say there, there was a reason for it and it was valid (laughs) (laughs) here. I, I, it was a major issue, right? It was a major issue. And as a teenager, I was, I was having issues and there was a major issue and the door needed to be off here. It's such a minor thing. And I think this is again, like one of these, one of these, the, the, the generational differences in value um, I, I don't see any parent my age or younger doing this to a child because the idea that children have their own private lives, just like the adults have their own private lives is kind of important. And especially at this age, when you are forming your identity, I think that there are other ways that you can handle that. Yeah. Um, and she was very insensitive to why these problems at school might have been taking place. And so that's what she found out then in the movie, you know, right. Right. That you're not asking. That's like what I said with Jodie Foster's character being overscheduled. You're not asking why. And again, today, I think you would dive into that a bit more. Right. The other thing is, too, really, you're you're a psychologist and you're going to do that because Jamie Lee Curtis's character, her job is a therapist. I don't see any therapist doing that, really. No, I agree. She would have. I think you would know how traumatizing that would be to Mm -hmm. a kid. And you would not do that. Now, then we come to the switch scene. This is the most problematic part of this movie. I totally agree with you, Megan. That is exactly what I think. You could not do this today and you should not have done it. 2003 is almost 20 years ago, but it's not that long ago to have this kind of a scene. Okay. They're at a Chinese restaurant. And what happens, KK? You tell them. Well, the mother of the, there's two Chinese people in this restaurant. One is more the hostess, so younger generation daughter. And then the other one's the older, wiser Chinese mother. Mm -hmm. And he sees Annabelle and her mother having this 
altercation of, you know, under, you know, misunderstanding and arguing and so on. And so she gives them each a fortune cookie. And obviously there's something magic with this. The daughter, the Chinese daughter does not want her mother to do this, but the mother does it behind her back. And uh, as these two people open up these fortune cookies and read them, uh, there's like an earthquake kind of happens when they both read them out loud at the same time. And it's yes. like a little poem about understanding other people and how you have to be selfless love in order to, you know, switch back. Yeah. And seeing through each other's eyes and whatever. But the fact of the matter is that this is exoticizing Asian people. They are about the only non-white people in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, this woman has an ancient Chinese secret and she's magic. Like, what? I don't know. It was and very... The- that Rosalind Kale. Like she doesn't really have that kind of an accent. She talked like a really uh, very stereotypical, you know, she was on Star Trek. I saw her in other movies. She was oh, in Joy Luck. She's a great Club. actress. She's yeah. a good actress. They had her really um, creating this stereotype character that I thought was very insulting. I thought yeah. they could have done it, still had the, the idea of fortune cookies, but done it in a more mysterious way rather than a stereotypical way, I thought. Yeah. Or have it. I mean, the first movie, they don't have anything and it's fine. Yeah. They're making mm. the wish at the same time. It's Friday the 13th. You don't really need more than in the yeah. um in the remake in the 2018 version. It's a, an hourglass that used to belong to the deceased father and they're moving it and kind of fighting over it. And while they're holding it, they make the wish. And so it's like, you only have so much time, right? So it's all about time. So we move past that point and we now come into again, some crazy hijinks. There was one thing that made me so angry. And one thing that I think was so great. The one thing that made me angry about this is They both decide we have stuff going on while we're trying to figure this out. We might as well just go and live each other's day, right? The character of Anna is in Jamie Lee Curtis's body. And Mark Harmon is dropping her off at work and he tries to kiss her. And she's like, ew, gross. Yeah, she pretends to have a cold start. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care if you're 15 or 50, Mark Harmon tries to kiss you. You give Mark Harmon a kiss, okay? Because especially young Mark Harmon, he is good looking and nobody is going to say no to that, Missy May. You can take that right back because that is just not realistic at all. At all. Mark Harmon is gorgeous. Um, I guess maybe if you're a teenager and he's about to be your maybe. dad. I don't know. You know, it's interesting in this movie that they didn't change back immediately. It's not till the next morning that they realize that they're in each other's bodies. They don't change immediately. After, when right. this earthquake happens, you know? So yeah. the, I thought the scene where she pu- pulls Jamie Curtis out of bed was really funny because Jamie Curtis had to do that to her earlier in yes. the show. You know, like yes. the one person doesn't want to wake up. Um, I also, I also like, so we see Chad Michael Murray and he's on his motorcycle and the mom's like, where did we meet him? Where did you meet him? Because now <laughs> she's in Lindsay Lohan's body. And Jamie Lee Curtis goes, detention. Oh, great. What a wonderful place to meet a potential love interest. Um, oh, what I want to say is that I, I think it's funny that Lindsay Lohan has these very early 2000s chunky highlights. And she's yeah. got like the faux punk look, like Avril Lavigne kind of look. And um, 
and then Chad Michael Murray is like the bad boy with the long hair. Now, Steve comes in as I'm watching this and he's like, oh, that's like me at high school. If we had met in high school, you would have liked me so much because he's a pastor now and an educator, but he was kind of a bad boy. And I keep telling him, you know, KK, I was like, I relate much more to Jodie Foster looking at nerdy Boris than I do <laughs> to Lindsay Lohan looking at hot Chad Michael Murray. I'd just be like, that's that's not for me. That's not my type. I, I, I like a nerd with an adenoid problem. Gosh, too funny. There are two character, two character actors in this version that I just loved. One was Harold Gould, who plays the grandfather. He was in The Sting and he was in Patch Adams. He was in a couple of things. He's a great character actor. And he plays this doddering grandpa who can't hear and really can't see that great and doesn't have a great memory. So he can have all kinds of sight gags, you know, as far as he thinks that there's a second earthquake and he goes running out of the house in his pajamas or something. Earthquake, earthquake. I I thought he was really funny and, and added a little bit of comic relief, you know. And also Stephen Tobolowski who plays Mr. Bates and he's like my favorite character from Groundhog Day. Oh, I know. Ed Ryerson. <laughs> so Ed he Ryerson. plays this English teacher who what here's what's hilarious. I paused the movie because Lindsay Lohan in before the switch turns in an analysis I think of Hamlet and then they talk about Macbeth later. So I pause it because she gets an F and I was like, she has a really strong thesis statement. <laughs> that paper doesn't deserve an F. And then spoken you, like a true English teacher. <laughs> and then she gives this analysis of Macbeth and he goes, no, F. <laughs> She's like, well, that was a college level analysis. And then she realizes as Jamie Lee Curtis is in her body now as the mom, she realizes this is the, the guy who asked her to prom and she said no. So she starts telling him off. Oh my gosh, it's so hilarious. In the meantime, Anna is in the mom's body and she this time gets a makeover. And this I thought was so great because in the first one, you know, Barbara Harris gives Jodie Foster a makeover because she's kind of tomboyish, right? And she's trying to help her grow up and be more feminine. Here, she gets a makeover, I think, in part because she never has time for any of this. And she's getting married soon. And Anna wants her to be kind of cooler and hipper and and whatever, you know. So she gets this great haircut. She gets a really cool dress that I thought was still age appropriate. What did you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think so. For sure. It was much more modern looking than what she wore, but yet it was still age appropriate. Yeah. So she didn't like put her in a a crazy, you know, get up. Right. They also have another scene where Jamie Lee Curtis is in. So the the mother is in Anna and she's going with Jake, Chad Michael Murray. um, And they're going through the teacher's lounge to cut to cut school and she's like we can't it's the teacher's lounge and he's like they're not going to notice and all the teachers are like totally burned out yeah it's so relatable it's so funny they're so burned out they'll never notice and they're like uh through the faculty room he takes her through there so she can finish a test or something and not fail it yes and while she's in there she changes stacy's text uh, Stacy was the girl who was uh, bullying her kind of like and D- Jake doesn't like that at all he doesn't like that behavior but yeah I, I also while she's in there isn't that where she sees that her mother or her daughter in in, in the mother's body is being interviewed on tv yes so. 
So this yes. was a highlight for me too. The the mother, Mark Harmon is set up for the mom to be interviewed on a talk show about her new book, which um, the daughter has never read <laughs> at all. And it's like a textbook about therapy and sentience and growing older and everything like that. And, um, and she basically hypes up the crowd and gets them going and starts like saying like, we just need to like not deal with this stuff. Like, let's just, just let go and like be whatever, you know, and then they show her crowd surfing. Crowd surfing. That was the funniest part. Oh my gosh. Curtis crowd surfing down the audience. Oh God, it's so funny. And then we also have after that, Jamie Lee Curtis and Anna's in her body, but she is flirting with Chad Michael Murray with Jake. Is that not the weirdest, most awkward scene? Here's the thing. Again, this is another thing like the Chinese restaurant. You know, we're talking now, KK, after like Mary Kay Letourneau and like these inappropriate relationships where like women can be predators too, right? And this scene just reads female predator, cougar on the prowl. Um, She's flirting with him. She rides a motorcycle with him and wraps her arms around his waist. Now you had like awkward flirting in the first movie, but it was much more innocent and much more like, well, I'm asking for my daughter, you know, like that kind of thing. This Um, was sexually charged. It it was very between them. I thought was very, it made me very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable very yeah. uncomfortable. Um, and that was the one, one of the things that I just didn't, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really care for. We also, in this movie, we have them coming together a number of times to kind of talk things over so that we see them clashing. And I felt like, again, one of the great things about the original is that they just had time to learn about each other's lives and without somebody telling them, well, here's how I'm living and here's what's going on and all of that. So at any rate, we get to the climax of this movie, a lot different than the water skiing, which is unfortunate. In my <laughs> but Lindsay Lohan is in a band. She's part of this like kind of tribe group. This, these are her people. And she is doing this like battle of the bands kind of thing to be able to play at a bigger festival later the Wango Tango Festival. And in the meantime, it is Jamie Lee Curtis and Mark Harmon's rehearsal dinner at the same time. So we have two competing events going on at the same time. Um, And what did you think about the concert? I liked the fact that they had Lindsay Lohan be in the front at the concert, but Jamie Lee Curtis, who's actually the daughter, was behind the scenes playing the guitar. I was kind of glad they didn't put her out in front. I thought that was really going to be not acceptable to the crowd. They wouldn't have believed, wouldn't have been believable to the crowd. So basically the mother who's in Lindsay Lohan's uh, body is pretending to play the guitar and her daughter's actually backstage playing it. Yes. Um, I really did like that too. I think that was cool to have Jamie Lee Curtis be behind the scenes playing the guitar for her. My only thing is she's like, I don't know what to do. And the mom's like, you know, the daughter in the mom's body is like, just go out there and pretend to play. Well. The thing is, um, 
the idea that a baby boomer who grew up during rock and roll wouldn't know how to fake a guitar. Like, give me a break. You're acting like this woman never did anything her whole life, but drink milk and eat toast. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally agree. She would have known how to act in a, in a rock band, even if she didn't oh, know that definitely. particular music. She would have known yeah. how to do some air guitar and stuff like that. Right. I loved how at the end of the rock concert, they all got the standing ovation and they all bowed, except for Lindsay Lohan, who curtsied. Yeah, she's still like the mother. And I just thought that was so in keeping with, yeah. she's still not really, you know, a part of that generation, but she curtsied. Oh, God, yeah, that's a cute that. little detail. It's a cute detail. Um, then we come to the actual wedding and the speeches are so nice. And she says, uh, like, to Mark Harmon that this is the daughter talking. And she's like, you know, we lost my dad. And then this great guy came into our lives. And then we were able to kind of, like, rebuild things and have a new kind of family. And, like, that's okay, you know. And really showing that she's fully accepted it, which I thought was nice. The wedding suit that she's wearing is hideous. But the wedding itself was really <laughs> nice. So we switch back. Lindsay Lohan is a little bit softer in this purple dress. And Jamie Lee Curtis kept the the, the stud earring and kept the haircut. And she's a little yeah. bit more rock and roll. And they've learned about each other. So a few less feminist themes than the original and a little bit more about their love interest, but still the same message, right? That you can learn from a person from a different generation if you walk in their shoes a little bit and, you know, all of that kind of thing. So before we do our rating, what did the critics at the time have to say? Well, the 1976 version has a 70% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and a 57% from audiences. The 95 version that only Megan watched part of has a 36 from audience. The 2003 has an 88 from critics and again, a 57 from audiences. And the newest one, the 2018, has a 67% from critics and a 20% from audiences. So kind of interesting that the newest musical version doesn't have great reviews. Um, I kind of agree with that, to be honest. At any rate, the 1976 version, here's what some critics had to say. This is, I'm just going to read you the one from Newsweek, KK. You tell me what you think. Are you ready? Uh Mary Rogers' screenplay, based on her novel, supplies enough faintly Freudian undertones to pique a grown-up interest even further. Try to imagine how Annabelle Andrews, a 13-year-old tomboy, must feel when she finds herself with a mature figure and a husband she suddenly starts calling daddy, and you begin to get the idea. What? They really? There's a couple of reviews in here that talk about, like, it wasn't edible enough. I'm like, why do you want to see that? 1976 reviewers. I don't know what's going on with you. Um, I did forget about that part, though, that when she calls him daddy, there's like a little look he gives her, like a leer, like this yeah. is separate. Yeah, it's gross. Daddy. I don't like it. I want to talk Not about either. it. Um, and then a negative review said it suffers from a sluggish exposition, mediocre direction, and one close-up after another advertising the film's potential retirement to the Disney TV series. But other people said that it was an offbeat film, but that Barbara Harris had a great performance, that Jodie Foster had a great performance. Like, so they kind of said 
um, you know, that the performances were good and fun. The 2018 version, consistently amusing. Mother and daughter switch is fun comedic chaos. Maybe adults might get a little teary-eyed, but kids just want to have fun and they're going to get it. Um, so yeah, a little bit more consistency with that, a little bit more of like, um, you know, here and there reviews, mixed reviews for the 70s version. So what ultimately, we're going to do each one of these, KK, normally when we watch two, we just give one kind of overall, but for the 1976 version, what do you give it? One out of 10 water skis. Wow. That's a tough one. Um, I guess, I mean, six or seven, somewhere around there. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. I think we can call this a six and a half. It It's like, it's fun. It's okay. I do think if I were a kid, I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Um, and somebody, one of the reviewers mentioned that it, it takes a little bit to get there, but at the end, it's kind of picks up the pace and it's fast paced and funny. I think it's like screwball physical comedy, you know, um, would kids today like it? I don't know. I mean, the rotary phone and the <laughs> avocado appliances, but they might think that it was kind of, you know, funny and amusing. And it's, it's like cotton candy, right? It's light and frothy and all that. How about the 2003 version? Yeah, I, I enjoyed that one a lot more. I thought Jamie Curtis did a great job. And and Lindsay Lohan was believable also. So I would say I would give it at least an eight. Oh, that's interesting. I kind of liked the older version better. I, I do like Jamie Lee Curtis a lot. I did think Lindsay Lohan was good. In the older version, I like the plot structure a little bit more. The way that they switched earlier on and some of the, like, the themes about you know, social change and stuff, but I, I guess I would give it a seven, a six or a seven. I kind of am about the same for both. So we'll wait for the sound effect. Six and a half water skis for the 1976 version of Freaky Friday and Seven and a half water skis for the 2003 version of Freaky Friday. So listen, kind of um, a medium-ish score, but honestly, this really is, you know, we picked this for a reason. It's a great pick for Mother's Day. There is something for anybody from any generation. Watch it by yourself, watch it with your kids, watch it with your mom, either one of them or both. You really do learn something about what it's like to be in the other person's shoes. And I think you have a better appreciation for what moms have to go through. So that's my recommendation. Okay. You can find links for all of these on our blog, stopruiningmychildhood.com. Watch with us. And I know this is our bonus episode. We're in the middle of a cycle right now. We are doing Muppet Babies. And then Little House on the Prairie. And then um, we're going to do kind of based on this pick, the movie Dream a Little Dream, which is also a mind swap movie where we have an older man and a younger uh, teenager swapping minds in that way. So we're we're in the middle of that cycle and you can um, pick up and listen to us on Podbean or on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, until then, my name is Megan. And I'm Karen. And thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.